never made a difference by being like everyone else. Well, that's exciting. Greatest Showman. How many of you guys seen the movie? Yes. Well, hey, some of you are kind of like, I don't know. It's a musical. You know, hey, come on. You know what's exciting? We have a hub venue, and so that is happening today. Let's just clap for that. We're excited. No more, no more practicing, no more soft launch. It's like the real deal, Holly Field. And so, hey, those of you here at Rocky, would you mind just yelling out, hey, Rock Hubbers, on three, okay? One, two, three. Hey, Rock Hubbers. Yes. And so we're excited to have you guys uh, joining in. It's awesome to be part of uh, two locations and seeing that take place. So welcome to At The Movies. My name is Keith. I'm one of the pastors and get to talk today about the greatest showman. The greatest showman. What a, what a fun, you know, musical, right? And I, at first, when I first heard about it, I'm like, okay, what is this? Most people posting about it, like 40-year-old ladies, you know? I mean, is this really that good? Then my kids, we went with our whole family, and then my kids went two other times. I made them pay the third. After the second, I'm like, I'm done paying. You guys are paying. Um, but man, what a, what a great show. And I think the reason why we enjoy it so much is it kind of covers a lot of what's going on in our, in our culture today. And so you got P.T. Barnum, who's this visionary that wanted to launch this, what we now know as the circus, and put together um, all of this. And so it's kind of a story of that. And if you're not into musicals, I just want to like bring a little bit of comfort to you dudes in here. Like P.T. Barnum is also Wolverine, okay? And so <laughs> just if, you, if you're not connecting with it, just know that, you know, this is a man among boys right there. So but there's some of the same things that were being dealt with in those day and time that we, we deal with here. And that's divisions, you know, pain, injustice, racial tension, uh, you know, someone chasing the American dream at the cost of their family. So it's things that are, that are similar. But this movie is somewhat Hollywood-ish, true-ish as well. There's some history. There's some Hollywood to it. Um, part of the not-so-accurate uh, part is Mr. Carlisle, which is Zac Efron. Um, he is not, this, he didn't really happen, okay? He's just for the movie. He's straight up eye candy. That's all that he's in there for. And some of you guys are like, I've been following Zach since he was getting the game. Gotta get, get, get the game. You know, that high school musical thing. Um, I only know that because I've seen it like seven times too many. Um, and then now he's just gone into this, you know, whatever this is, you know, whoa, oh, 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 this is me, you know, stuff. And he's doing, did a great job in it. But I, speaking of, you know, Zac Efron, you know, today our topic for our message is temptation. So ladies, um, this is going to be right up your alley. So, but no, the reason why it's temptation is because P.T. Barnum, uh, Phineas, I think Taylor or Timmy or Tommy, I don't know. I think it's Taylor maybe, but Phineas Taylor Barnum, uh, faced a lot of temptation. You see it played out in the movie. We can easily, you know, demonize him and go, I can't believe he would fall for some of those things. But some of the same things he was tempted in and then he chased after, we find ourselves following the same temptation. So I'm going to talk through a few of those today. And you may say, okay, why would we have a movie? Why do we compare a movie? You know, you know, what's that have to do with the Bible? We're taking principles from it. And movies are modern day stories. And so it just incites our attention. We enjoy them. I, I love movies, but it gets us thinking about different principles, not just moral principles, but actually tying it to Scripture. So what we see here is I want to define temptation before we get any further. Temptation, anything that promises satisfaction at the cost of obedience. 
So when you came in today, you were given a program. There's some notes in there if you, if you kind of like to, to take notes or write a few things down. There's also weekly reading. What we desire um, is that we get together on Sunday for just a little bit, but it gives us an opportunity throughout the week to read more scripture around um, what we're studying. And then um, we push into community groups. So there's lots of people here at Rock Harbor that are in a group, which means we're talking at a deeper level about Sunday's message or about parenting or marriage or whatever those topics are, but it allows us to be deeper than just a, a large gathering. We call this the gather environment, and we move into the scatter environment. Um, you know, temptation has been around a really long time, and Adam and Eve were actually tempted as the first man and woman in the garden. It was like, hey, don't eat of this tree, and what do you think that they did, right? They were tempted, and they ate of that tree, and so temptation happens to all of us, and maybe for some of you, you're, you're new to church or a temptation and kind of tying God and obedience to God, that maybe it doesn't fully connect with you. Here's a great definition of temptation as well. It's anything that promises satisfaction, but the cost is not worth the satisfaction that it brings. The cost is not worth the satisfaction that it brings. It, it promises something grand, and it's significantly less than grand. It promises this forever freedom and actually it's bondage and change it promises like this joy but really it's just a temporary quick fix that maybe brought a smile to our face but it didn't fulfill the emptiness that's in our heart i'm going to share a couple of verses about temptation to build a platform for us and the first is hebrews 4:15, and it's important to read this because jesus was tempted um, and so we need to know that temptation is not a sin so being tempted is not a sin. Hebrews 4.15 says, for we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness. It's saying Jesus can sympathize with our weakness, but one in every respect has been tempted as we are, but yet without sin. So Jesus was tempted, but chose not to, stem, to sin. He was tempted to lust. He was tempted to acquire wealth. He was tempted to usurp the authority of his father and choose his own way, but yet he said no, and he stayed away from it. Another thing to know is we're, we're never above temptation. We don't arrive at some point that all of a sudden the temptation is gone. No, in fact, the temptation continues on. Even if we're to advance in our relationship with God. But what Satan does is just like this master fisherman, he puts a lure or some bait on that would entice us. Like, for example, some of you walked by concession stand out there, and some of you are like, I ain't needing none of that. And others of you are like, I cannot wait till church gets over. You know, some of you are like, hey, honey, did you bring your big purse? You know, like you're literally like going to like dump it in there. Like for me, if there was like Mike and Ike sitting here, I'd be drooling out of my mouth just going, oh, give me some of that. I'm not talking about tropical kind. No, there's no room. Berry, tropical. No, I'm talking the original Mike and Ike. There's a reason God made it originally. And then man came alongside and added other things to it. And for some of you, anybody else tempted by Mike and Ike's? A few of us with like seven-year-old taste buds, right? There's temptation that is specific to you. Some of you, it's kale. That's not good. I almost said something I don't think I should say in church, so I'm not going to say it. Um, I really don't think I should have. Um, there's cameras running. That would like be bad. I, I got to filter some thoughts right now. Um, but 1 Corinthians 10, I can't wait to tell my wife later though what I thought. Oh, this is going to be funny. Um, 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands heed, stands, take heed lest he fall. So if we think we've arrived and we're above temptation, be careful because pride comes before the fall. Like we need to take heed. Like that's, that's such an old school word, 
but it's basically like slow down and pay attention. Like we've got to slow down. Like if we think if we've overcome some addiction, to know that that temptation is always looming and it may manufacture and be made in a different way moving forward. And maybe it's this, uh, a marriage, you say, hey, our marriage is good. Like be, take heed, be careful. No marriage is untemptable and un, unhinderable. So we have to be careful and, and take, take heed. The next verse talks about there's, there's no way out or there's all, or excuse me, there's always a way out. So there's always a way out of temptation. Verse 13 says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man for God's faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. There's a way to escape. One translation of the Bible says that that there's a way that we can stand up under it. It's almost like that power squat, you know, throw a bunch, you know, for me, I go to the gym four to five times a year. And when I'm there, if it's leg day, which it's never been, um, but if it were leg day, you, you don't lift with your back when you're squatting, right? And so this is basically saying, let your foundation be firm in the Lord Jesus Christ, like have a strong foundation. So when the temptation comes, you can stand up underneath it. Our strength comes from Christ alone. And lastly, God will never tempt you. And some would say, yeah, of course he wouldn't. But we make statements like this. We say things like, why did God allow this to happen? Why did God put this situation in my life? If God really cared, then he would have removed this temptation. Why did he allow this to happen? And James 1.13 says, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. See, there's testing that happens, but God gives us a way of escape. In life, there are trials that happen. God brings us through trials, not just the shortcut around it. And so we can't say that God has tempted me, for that would go against Scripture, and it goes against the character of God. And in The Greatest Showman, we see P.T. Barnum face multiple temptations. We can easily go, man, come on, dude, get it together. How hard is it? And we can watch it play out on a big screen, and we can judge him, or we could recognize you know what, we've been tempted in a lot of the same ways. A way that we've been tempted that's similar to him is to believe that getting someone back or proving someone wrong will make us feel better. See, he was battling against this upbringing of poverty. He was battling against an upbringing of being a tailor's son and not having certain things, and now he's trying to acquire wealth and riches and actually his personal value as to how he feels about himself. And sadly, He succumbs to looking for the the cheers of the crowd rather than someone who matters. Did you see his face? Was there satisfaction on it? Was there real joy in it? All that he had chased to try to prove himself to someone? No, there's sadness, there's anger, there's frustration, there's dissatisfaction. See, that's what the lie of revenge does. It tells us we're going to get something if, if we would just prove, if we can get back at that person that hurt us, but it leaves us empty, it leaves us unfulfilled, it leaves us wanting more. And some of you, maybe you came in today with deeper hurts and deeper challenges. You came from a, a more challenging upbringing than this movie even would share. And you say, my story's different. It's going to take within us this willingness to, to let go 
and to let God, to, to really hand over into his hands whatever those affirmation that we're desiring and that we're missing. And, and maybe you're even saying like, I just, you know, I didn't hear from in my childhood or, or maybe it's not even as a child. It's, I mean, for Phineas, it was something happening even in his adult life. And maybe it was in the last week rather than for the approval of other people. Like, how do we say, hey, we want to release this to God. We want God to fill a place in our heart that, that no one's approval could ever possibly fill. Romans 12, 18, 19 says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it's written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. It's saying, let God be God. Let God do the battle. We don't need to go out and defend ourselves. We don't need to go out and prove ourselves to, to gather you know, value or worth from what someone else may, may give us in a compliment. And I'm not going to let my life be determined by what other people may think about the life that I'm living. And this applause of many doesn't even compare to living for an audience of one. The applause of many doesn't compare to living for an audience of one. So we need to stop chasing the wrong cheers. And Jenny Lind, you know, the, the part of, of the story that kind of shows this potential relationship between her and P.T. Barnum, that's all Hollywood, okay? That didn't actually happen. She did tour and do some of those kind of things, but there was actually another person that was infatuated and had this relationship, this desired relationship with Jenny Lind. It's somebody by the name of Hans Christian Andersen, and they shared letters back and forth, and they wanted this relationship and he really desired it but she kept him in the friend zone you know she was like ah we could be friends like but no I'm not interested and so what he did is he ended up writing a story called the snow queen and he wrote this story called the snow queen and now you may know it more modernized as frozen it was about the icy heart of Elsa and this Elsa is a picture of this Jenny Lind um, at least that's what Wikipedia says and so um <laughs> But there's a, there's a story behind this, and, and he had his pain become his pen. But see, if you're looking for that affirmation of one, or you're chasing one, or you're chasing the many, when there's, there's one person that matters. And we turn something that can be good into a God. So if we're wanting this affirmation from other people, then why do we pursue success at all costs? That's a temptation that we have in our life to pursue success no matter, no matter what it could ever cost. And what could be something that's good in your life, like having a good career, a good job, you know, promotions and opportunities to continue to be faithful. You know, God wants us to work hard, but also he's satisfied and happy with who we are in him. And he wants us to work hard as unto the Lord, the Bible says, but also not look for our affirmation coming from the position that we have, because we'll sacrifice more than we ever could possibly imagine when we chase after this dream at all costs. We'll, we'll give up more than we ever possibly imagined. We'll compromise in ways we never thought that we would. We'll sell out our soul for some sort of success. And there was lots of S's in that statement. I apologize. That was a total accident. That's a C. Um, but we can all be tempted in this for, and what we'll pursue is materialism. And we'll find ourselves exhausted because we're chasing endlessly. But there's a significant contrast between a bright dream and a dark ambition. A bright dream and a dark ambition. There's a significant contrast. How many of you guys would consider yourself a word nerd? Kind of like words. 
like English, okay? You should love this statement. Contrast, bright, dark. Look at that. Boom, it just explodes your mind. Contrast, bright, dark. It's so good. But a bright dream can be a good thing. A dark ambition, when we make it a God thing, and we make it our dream and our desire and, and our vision rather than his, and and Phineas was chasing after this girl he should never have, this house he could never afford, and ultimately this business that should never work. And willing to risk it all at any cost. We've made it this long without singing, and so would you guys cue those lights? Um, let's sing A Million Dreams. No, I'm actually going to read it. But A Million Dreams... The song says, they can, they can say it all sounds crazy. They can say, they can say I've lost my mind. I don't care, I don't care, so call me crazy. We can live in a world that we design. And as much as I like this movie, I hate that line. I don't want to be a hater. But living in a world that you design, that's it. To go after that and you get to it and you're like, look what I did. See, When we design our world, we design God out of it. We direct God out of it, in fact. When we design this world that we want, then we push God aside to create something so man-made and man-fashioned. But it's really me. Everything good that's in you comes from God. You know, he's the creator, and he's put inside you creative abilities. So great gifts that you have are from God. But if you push him aside to design what you think you want and what you think you would like and what we see with P.T. Barnum, you'll design a world that you can design. It may, have, it may involve imagination. It may be state-of-the-art. But nothing compares to God's hand. So let's not put a plan together and then sprinkle a little Jesus on it and pray and God bless what I put together, but rather say, I want this to be your design. I want you to be alive in me because we'll end up making excuses as to why we're doing the things that we're doing i'm working all these hours for you i'm doing all this for the kids the reason i'm working so diligently and i'm 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 in love with money i mean i i just want to earn money so that we can have these things and you want to create for your kids maybe the childhood you didn't have or experiences that you never got is it really for them is it really for you for you to feel successful, for you to get through some of that, that pain so that we can have confidence and we end up giving God leftovers. And he's worthy of so much more than that. See, in this movie, Finn's daughter wants to be a ballerina. He buys her the shoes and he misses the ballet. And how many of us do the same thing? We sacrifice to be on a traveling team. We sacrifice for this type of vehicle for our children. Or even in our marriage, we sacrifice so we can have all these different experiences. This is a statement or question, maybe better, for those of us in this room that you would call yourself a follower of Jesus. I'm not saying a Christian by title because of a religion or because of what church you attend or or what you kind of believe about God, but rather... You follow Jesus. You're actively pursuing him. You've given your life to Jesus Christ. Are you providing experiences for your kids but not teaching them how to experience God? 
Are you making sacrifice in your life so that they can have things? Or are you showing them what it looks like to sacrifice for God? Because that's something that goes with them everywhere. When they witness a devoted follower of Jesus that put God, puts God first, is different than someone who was able to provide an experience. Is the dream that you have for your kids more of a dream for yourself? For them to get opportunities? And, and should we provide for our children? Absolutely. Do we want to do well? Do we want to you know, be able to have experiences? Yeah, and I'm not going to demonize every experience ever, but don't make it a God. Make it something that's good. Let God get glory. But don't chase after our own personal glory so that we can have a certain experience or lifestyle. You know, First John talks about this love that we have for the things of this world. It's First John 2, 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. You know, often as I'm speaking on a Sunday, I'll see a scripture and I have commentary after it. I have something to say. I read it and I'm like, this really means a lot to me. And I'm reading this like, this is it. I can't expound anymore upon what it means to really follow Jesus and to really have one foot in the world and one foot in being a follower of him. I want to read it again. I pray our ears are open to be able to hear what it says. It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, it's not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. See, we're tempted to pursue success at all costs. We also are tempted to believe that this hole that's in our soul could be filled with the shine of a thousand spotlights. We think something else could fill it other than God. There's this temptation, this lure of the lights, the shine of the stage. And you may say, I would never want to be on a stage. I'm a behind-the-scenes person. Well, what, what affirms you? What fills you up? What makes you feel worthy or make you feel worth? What... What has been this success that you've sold out to? What does it cost you? What are the things inside you you've given up and you've pursued something that you should never pursue? And quite possibly one of the greatest lines in the movie is delivered by Jenny Lind, and it's just this short phrase that I want to share with you. See, there's a hole in all of our hearts that no ovation can ever fill. No applause, no, I'm sorry, no, you know what, you were right, I was wrong. No, you know when you were younger, I treated you like this. No, you know what, you really deserved this, and I want to apologize for how I acted. See, we long to fill this hole with something and this hole that's in our heart is actually someone. It's a person of Jesus Christ. It's the only thing that can fill that hole in our heart. It's not a number of zeros that exist in a bank account. 
It's not a light on a stage. It's not one more accomplishment. It's not a certain title that you desire for. It's not that business that if you just started that business or if it could just be successful or it's not our kids turning out okay. If you're married, it's not your spouse. No, Jerry Maguire got it wrong. And we'll get to that in week five. We're going to feature Jerry Maguire. Now we're not. Um, <laughs> show me the money, you know. <laughs> we're not going to um, feature that. But with it, there's a statement made in there that he says, you complete me. And his doctrine is like so messed up. Because as a married couple, you don't complete one another. You complement one another. Jesus is the only one that can complete us. He's the only one that can fill that hole. So we can't make that hole in our life. We can't fill that gap with another person. An ovation, some affirmation. Jesus says it this way in Matthew 6, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on this earth where moth and rust are going to destroy and where thieves can break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, the things we often treasure in this world, they'll never be enough. All the shine of a thousand spotlights, all the stars we steal from the night sky will never be enough. The towers of gold are still too little. These hands could hold the world, but it will never be enough. Would you bow your heads with me? I have a question uh, for all of us in here today and those that are watching online or over at the hub, just where are you in your spiritual journey? Where are you with God? I didn't say, how's your business doing? I didn't say, do the people around you like you? I didn't say, are you pretty successful? How's your career? Maybe you're a student here today. I, I didn't say, how are your grades? The people at school, what do they think about you? I didn't say, what kind of dad are you? How's your marriage? How are you with God? Have you began a relationship with Jesus Christ? Has that God-shaped hole in your heart been filled with the only one, not the things that we try to fill it with, but as Blaise Pascal said, there's a God-shaped vacuum in every human being. Have you allowed God to fill it? See, he gave everything for us. He bridged that gap. He filled that chasm with his one, his only son. But see, there's a temptation that looms right now, even in front of us. It's for us to say, you know, I'm not that bad. To walk out of here today and say, I'm doing okay. I said, how are you with God? Not, are you better than the person sitting next to you? Are you better than your neighbor? That your good would outweigh your bad? That you're a good person? No, have you given your heart to Jesus Christ? Have you called upon him? Jeremiah 29, 13 says, if we seek him, we'll find him. And when we seek him with all of our heart. 
Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's the only way. He's the only one that can fill that hole that's in our heart. See, if anyone, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. There's some of us in this room, we need a, we need a do-over. We need another scene to redeem, not ourselves, but to be redeemed. For Jesus Christ to take over that pen of your life that you've been gripping, you've been touching, you've been designing, and you maybe have, you've directed him out of it, but today's the day that you're going to say, my heart, my life is yours. I want you to have full control of me. If God has moved upon your heart, I want to invite you to pray with me, to receive him as your savior, to fill that hole in your life with the only one that can. Jesus. Thank you for giving yourself for me. Anything I do would never be enough. So I surrender to what's been done for me. That you came and you died and you rose from the dead so I could have life. Thank you. Thank you for doing something for me I could not do for myself. My life is yours. I do not deserve it but I am blessed by your love and I'm blessed by your grace. My heart is yours. My life is yours. You are in control. It's in your name I pray.